Yeah, Kat, and also like Cat Stevens becomes used to Islam and calls a fatwa on Salman Rushdie and and uh No, and that was a misunderstanding. That was a misunderstanding. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But then but then later he became Cat Power and released some really interesting music. No, he did <laughs> That's not. That's an amazing joke and I like that. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. You're doing well today, Jeff. I'm doing great. I am having a uh, a very slow solo day. It's uh, it, okay. I'm very introspective on this fine day. Oh boy, that should be that should make for great content. Uh, right. Ben, how about you? Oh, dude. So we usually record this thing just to get behind the scenes. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> at 9 p.m. The last one we started at like 10:30, 11 p.m. It was rough. And just to clarify, that's I typically am at least two glasses of wine in by that time, <laughs> and also pretty tired. Yeah. Today we find ourselves here at four fifteen, unannounced. unannounced. I was not warned about this. Surprise! I'm going to go ahead. Not only do I have the regular amount of coffee, I have the extra cortado at lunch to kickstart my heart. I'm just going <laughs> to be flying today, flying. Awesome. So I should tell you in the car ride up, I we're often on the radio and I'm just doing seek and Martha and Patrick play against each other to guess who the singer is or who the band do the radio game. I love the the radio game. The radio game. The radio game is great fun. Uh, Helen will jump in every once in a while. Uh, Like if it's Morrissey, especially she's like, you guys got to know the Smiths. Um, Timmy, you don't play. Well, I, I play in my head, but it's, it would be too easy at that point. I'm, I'm like the judge and I tell them who it is. But uh, I, I should let you know that a kind of grating guitar sound came up and I was like, oh dear, turn it. And Pat's like, who's this? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to go to the next station. And then I, I paused. So I was like, I think this is kickstart my heart. <laughs> and it was. I voluntarily listened to kickstart my heart by Motley Crue in honor of Ben Barton. And now you're, now you're a better person. I really yeah, am. for sure. Well, and I, I have want... a, fo- I oh, have a follow-up question to last week's episode. Once you're done introducing this week, Tim, for you. I, I have an apology for last week's episode because I was out. Uh, 95 North took it out for me. I did not have my pep. I did not have my verve. I have it today after uh, being at, at a lake in Maine for a couple of days. So I am ready to go. I want to apologize for my lackluster performance in 1969, but I am not going to apologize for my pick, no matter how lackluster you feel it may be. As a matter of fact, after listening to 1969's podcast, I am going to double down on Nashville Skyline. I think it's a great album, and I think you are too harsh on Uncle Robert. Okay. It sounds like you're in a better frame of mind. I was just going to open up by asking, like, do you like novels? Yeah. And yeah. do you like? Did you movies? hear the weird snicker? He was like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> yes. Or do you just prefer sentences and episodes of television shows? Because your whole like, you album snobs with your three songs and your four songs. 
I just listened back to that. I'm like, you are a playwright, are you not? Are there I, multiple acts to some of the things that you've written there, buddy? Because you need to rethink the way you understand this art no, form I, early in the game. I am going to push back immediately. You act like every singer in every band creates a concept when they put out an album. I think you did. I think The Who has done that. I uh, think every Cor record Corey, pick did that. Corey sure. Hart did not do that. Well, well, yeah, but Corey Hart is not going to be one of those selections. But I don't know, man. Timmy's late. You see how he's softening us up? He's laying the groundwork. He sees the like deal for Corey Godfather Hart. Godfather and Police Academy 6 are the same thing. It should be treated the same way. But more people <laughs> produce Police Academies than Godfathers. Which is why this podcast is so necessary. So important. Because we're so important. separating the wheat from the chaff for our dear listeners. All right. And we will start it with the Grammy winner. But oh, wait, hold on, Timmy. No need to oh, apologize, so man. You, you, I mean, you can be filled with piss and vinegar. That's good. Thank you. You, you could be sassy. It's all good. I like to quote your, I think it was your oldest daughter, who after my Gordon Lightfoot pick yelled at you saying, you've got to let Tim be Tim. I appreciate that very much. Indeed. All right. It oh, I is... wanted to also say, um, oh. after telling us that Robot Lady was not going to be involved, like we got like sexy husky Robot Lady for 1969 as a surprise guest. I was pretty sexy. She was about frisky. That. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. She was frisky. I had my I had like a little like ooh. PG 13 for a second on the old podcast. That's that my sister. You guys. <laughs> oh, that's why. Okay. Wait, that's your sister, not Helen? You got a new robot? That was professional actress Teresa Plain. Well, that would explain it. Filling in, it was either wake up the robot lady at 6.30 to record those little bits, or Teresa, who was already up, uh, taking over. So, little behind-the-scenes uh, knowledge for you all. This time, Helen Plain will be back in her starring role. All right. Uh -huh. Without further ado, the Grammy winner for best album of the year, 1970. Jeff, I apologize. I didn't give you a heads up. Can you pull up Bridge Over Troubled Waters? And instead of playing the title track, which we already played uh, in our season one song of the year winner, uh, pick your favorite song off of that album to give us a sample. Okay. It's Bridge careful. Over Troubled Water. I just You're don't right. want to get yelled at by Paul Simon fans. Okay. <laughs> uh, my favorite song from that record. Here we go. It's the Grammy winner. It's the number one album. Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I have squandered my resistance. For a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies and jest, still the man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. That is The Boxer, which I believe starts off side two or inside one of this record. So. And the drums come in a little softly there, right at the moment where you cut off. Good song. Build. There's a lot of timpani and big strings at the end. It gets very dramatic. But I okay. always I always love that song. I, I, I got sucked into the story of it when I was a little kid and I, I still buy it. 
And so Simon and Garfunkel had broken up in 1965, I think. And Paul Simon was touring Japan by himself when someone put a drum track on Sounds of Silence. Tom Wilson, the producer of those of the Bringing It All Back Home and Highway okay. 61 Revisited did that. And it becomes a radio hit unbeknownst to Paul Simon. And, and so then, then they get back together and make uh, the records to make them famous, particularly bookends and this one. Yeah. And the soundtrack to The Graduate. Yep. It was just 67, I believe. Uh, and then they break up here in 19. Why'd they break up? Does anyone know? Yeah, they were. Fucking I mean, they didn't want to be together anymore. Did they hate each other? Okay. Oh, they hated each other. <laughs> yeah, it was not great. Do you know what Art Garfunkel was doing 18 months after this song, after this record came out? Wasn't he in a movie? He was in a yeah, well, he was he in was Carnal in Knowledge with Jack Nicholson. And then okay. Pat Garrity, he taught right? high school math for eight years at a boarding school. Really? Why the concert in Central Park? Because he thought he would enjoy being a high school math teacher. No, no, which school? I can't remember. I'm gonna look it up. It's it's like one of the big boarding schools. Like um, that's fascinating. The one in the Berkshires. What's the name of that one? You Come would on. think I would know. There's only one boarding school in my heart. He taught at. Uh... Shoot! Come on, Google. While you're doing this, I'll just go ahead and relodge my earlier complaint. I still yes. don't like this. I still don't like this. It's so precious. It's so hothouse flower. I don't like the singing. I don't like the guitar playing. Um, I guess, you know, like I remember, isn't that the song that he played on Sunday Night Live after 9-11? Like that was pretty powerful. That is a good song. But the yeah. production of it and just the entire vibe of that whole project just is like rubs me the wrong way. I do not care for it. Yeah, I get it. It's Litchfield Prep is where he taught math. Okay. Well, um, Ben, I have bad news for you because uh, Jeff had to play his favorite because it won the Grammy. You have to pick your favorite because it was also the number one selling album of 1970 and is still the number one selling album that came out in 1970. So what is your pick for your favorite? I have to look it up. I don't even have it in my... (laughs) What's the name of this dumb record? This is like... Top 100 in Rolling Stones, top 500 albums. I got it. Yeah. It's yeah. just not for me. What's the name of this dumb record? Uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what we got here. And, I, and there are some songs by this band that I wouldn't mind. I don't mind the uh, the soundtrack to that movie is much better. Do you like Cecilia? Oh, sh- oh boy. What? Um, in the outstanding, exceptional, so good Triumph the Insult Convict Dog album that includes the song I Keyed. <laughs> he just made a little joke. He's got a part where he describes choosing between two different musical he hates as choosing which puddle of vomit to lick. <laughs> That's okay. how I okay. feel looking at this. <laughs> okay. I guess we'll take uh, Cecilia. Yeah, let's do it. The other one I picked. What would you pick? You don't like Pasa. You don't like the Peruvian flutes on El Condor Pasa. Let's do that. Let's do that. That's even more embarrassing. Do (laughs) that. El Condor Pasa. Here it comes. (laughs) 
very dramatic in the beginning. It actually sounds a lot like Roundabout by Yes at the beginning, which cracks me up. <laughs> Come on, guys. Hold on, I'll fast okay. forward. No, no, why not? That's perfect. It's still going 48 seconds. That, that condor is still passing. I comes. actually. Oh, this guy. Oh. Yes, I what is happening if in this? I could, I surely would. All right, all right. Just... I actually, that's really mean-spirited of me. I like both Baby Driver and Only Living Boy in New York. Both of those are, are much more- Are right they on this more. album? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it looks like a greatest hits album and it's not. Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first eight songs are famous. Like, wow. Famous songs that millions of people know. It's I a love. it's a gargantuan hit. But that pan flute, man, that's <laughs> it for me. That is freaking it for me. If it's Zam not Fear. Remember Zam Fear, master of the pan yes, flute. I remember Zam Fear. If it's not if it's not the scene from Anchorman, anything, any rock song, any folk There's song, anytime you get the flute out, I'm like out. I'm, I'm out. out. Hard right. no. We have we have beat up the boxer enough at this point. Let's uh move on to events of 1970. Who died? Who be dead? <laughs> Not enough famous people for me to bring it back. This particular. No, that, yeah. I thought that was really going to be it. We're not going to do dead people. The Chicago no. Seven are found guilty. Uh, anyone know anything about that? Did anyone see the movie that recently came out? I saw the movie. I saw the original play. I taught William Kunstler's granddaughter oh. actually. So this is. Uh, I did you like the movie? Was it good? I did. I thought it was a little Aaron Sorkin. There's a lot of people talking very fast for a very long period of time for, uh, for two and a half hours. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I dug it. Um, OK. And uh, it's interesting, right? Because, of course, I'm on the side of of uh, right Freedom. and good. And at the same time, it it uh, the circus of that whole event probably didn't change hearts and minds the way it could have because the it was such a ridiculous behavior on both sides of the uh -huh. both by the judge and by the defendants that okay. i imagine the average american just saw it as a circus and it didn't galvanize opposition to the war in the way that folks probably hoped that it would well, well this is also the year nixon uh has american troops invade cambodia which, which kind of ratchets everything up a hundred thousand people turn out to an anti-war demonstration in dc um Students at Kent State begin demonstrating, and four of them are shot and killed by National Guard troops. Then Nixon actually withdraws troops, or tells us he withdraws troops from Cambodia. But yeah, just a, uh, a difficult time in the United States. Um, ben, do you remember the Doonesbury cartoons around the secret Cambodia bombings? Is that with Duke? Sorry, no, Fred, it's when, um, to Ben. It's when um, BD is in Vietnam and he makes friends with Fred the terrorist from Laos. I remember that. And they're talking nice. to the two peasants and they're like, did you know about the secret bombings? And they said, it wasn't secret. I said, look, Martha, here come the bombs. It's true. <laughs> oh no, that's the one where he's like, are you sure it was American plans? And he's like, it was a McDonald Douglas LT something. He's like, well, those are ours. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Those were unbelievable. Ah. Uh, 
you, gentlemen, you know more about this than I do. The Isle of Wight Music Festival uh, occurs in 1970. Who has the best live performance from Isle of Wight? Well, there's two Isle of Wights. There's 69 where most bands thought they gave the best performances of their lives. And then okay. in 70, it's a, a complete mess because Woodstock has happened uh -huh. and everybody demands the festival be free. And so the fences get kicked down and it's wildly overcrowded. Oh, and it's, gosh. it's a giant kind of like, you guys should all play for free. And all the performers are like, you 800,000 no. people should have bought a ticket. Um, they boo Joni Mitchell off the stage. She what? leaves in tears. Um, everything runs late, runs late. Like the Who set begins at 3.45 in the morning. It's Hendrix's last major appearance before he dies. And he's like strung out and miserably out of tune. So the Isle of Wight 70 performances are really scattershot. And there's great okay. individual moments. Like some of the bands have great like one song one song but right. in terms of like full sets they're all they, i mean most sets are interrupted by chanting and protests and and it's very it's there's a great movie about it by murray lerner um that kind of um paints a really interesting picture of the whole thing um uh, ben you know how jeff's been alone for a few days right now yeah with this backdrop are you worried about him doesn't it look like he's <laughs> <laughs> he's got the shades down are the cops outside jeff are they peering in i'm hibernating i'm having a, i'm doing just <laughs> fine it's a happy shades drawn first of all we had grumpy I mean? driving timmy a week ago and now we got vacay timmy he's like he's got the wood paneling behind him and he's gonna mock <laughs> jeff for his shade work that's where we're at all right um <laughs> one more tidbit before we get to our three albums by the way i am going to defend this album to the death and i i i feel that both of you are going to make fun of me um and that's when our first real fight will occur uh but before we get to that what country becomes the world's fourth space power in 1970 i'm sure Ooh. you can name the first three space powers well England, i mean america and russia okay one and two who's the third france yeah, look at but, me killing, uh, killing space time in 1970. Space is coming back. Is it which, country, which country becomes the fourth? It is not England, sadly. Their coal powered rockets did not work out the way they had hoped. That was a joke. Help us out, brother. <laughs> it is Japan. Ah, nice. All right, we're cutting that whole. That's segment. pretty remarkable from <laughs> from 1946 to 1970 to go from where they were at the end of World War II. Oh to yeah, space in 1970. Oh, they they were all on board the transformation. All right. Our three albums. Ben Barton, you demanded. Top billing this week. Take Demanded. it away. Demanded. Demanded. Uh, it's a redemption tale this year. An artist who has taken some licks on this podcast. Ooh. Who's taken a little bit of a beating on this podcast. Gets his due. All right. Eric Clapton. 
I knew it. Joins the Yardbirds in 1963, and it's a super similar story to the when the Rolling Stones got signed. It's this like feeding frenzy. They're just signing any bands that has guitars (laughs) in it in London, and the Yardbirds is one of these bands. And super similar to the first level of the Stones, they're uh, tried and true blues act. That's what they're going for. That's what they're trying to do. A tour. In 65, I can't remember who it is. It's like one of the famous old African-American Chicago blues men where they're like opening with him and backing him up and stuff and that sort of thing. For Your Love is a top 10 hit in America. They become a pop act. I can't remember that Jeff will know this. They, they bring like in the song. guy who's the songwriter for Herman's Hermits to write the music for the Yardbirds. Great song. Which made me laugh super hard. <laughs> Clapton quits and joins uh, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Okay, so- After one a of, year of woodshedding. Quits one of the, and then just practices. One of the reasons oh. why we're so hard on Clapton is like I'm a lot harder on him than I am on Rod Stewart, let alone Elton John. I mean, it's because he he has some real artistic peaks. I mean, he has some moments where you're just like, wow. And I really, really, really loved this guy. Like I saw Clapton live five times between 1985 and 1992. Like I just saw him, any chance that I got to see him, I would go see him, love them. And one of the reasons why is the John Mann on the Bluesbreakers record, the instrumental hideaway is one of my all time favorite instrumental guitar songs. He just burns on that record. Joins Cream, I'm less excited about Cream. Uh, <laughs> exits Cream, they can't get along. He's in blind faith, that's fine. Then he's in Delaney and Bonnie. He tours as a side man. And Jeff, uh, Jeff's got this. Uh, I have an actual copy of Jeff's digital music collection, which is, I don't know, 25,000 tracks. How many is it, Jeff? 50,000? Like yeah, maybe 30,000. He does not have a single song by Delaney and Bonnie. It's my oh, yeah, go-to. I, do. I, have come, I have Coming Home. That You have an old version. Oh, I've I have an old version. Home. Anyhow, but suffice to say, they were not so good. No. And it's, the, it's a super weird pick by Clapton. This is uh, like all the Guitar Hero stuff has started. The Clapton is God graffiti stuff is going on in London. He's been forced into this, what he considers to be unlikable competition with Jimi Hendrix. And he's super weirded out by it all. So he takes a break and he's touring as a sideman with uh, Delaney and Bonnie. Um, he hooks up with their rhythm section. They all stay at his mansion in Surrey and they start recording. And they're starting to write and record and getting it together. They form a band that they call Derek and the Dominoes that Clapton is explicitly choosing to not be an Eric Clapton project. He's not naming it Eric Clapton. When they perform live, he's not allowing anyone to say that Eric Clapton's in the band. Weird. Uh, They go to Florida, they hook up with Dwayne Allman. And basically it's like a week and a half or two weeks of recording sessions. They record just a blistering, fantastic best in class classic rock album the Derek and the Domino's Layla Another Love songs uh it's a double record this is one where uh, I feel super comfy with it like every track is great <laughs> it's great the worst song the one that I, I hate the most and skip the quickest is the cover of Little Wing it's a five minute uh, really slow, boring version of a two-minute spectacular, one of my favorite Hendrix songs. But that tells you how great the record is, that when there's a cover of Hendrix is the worst song on it. It's an awesome, fantastic record. Um, 
it's super weird alchemy basically he brings in Dwayne Allman they they sort of kind of know each other but they just like immediately sync and Allman brings this like beautiful bluesy slide guitar thing on top of the other stuff the record's a really cool amalgamum two-thirds of the record is just heartbreak over his love for George Harrison's wife and I'll talk about that in a second Oh, and gosh. so it's a searing album of heartbreak, including the most famous song, Layla. Um, but there's multiple songs on that theme. Any Day is about that. Um, he does a bunch of blues songs that are about that, basically. Uh-huh. Um, the last third of the record are all like the key to the highway, um, like like these blues covers that are all fantastic. Uh, it's a really like so when I was a kid, this was my favorite Clapton album. And it was the one I returned to over and over again. And part of it is because it's kind of a juvenile in terms of emotional record. Like uh, when you're in high school, everyone's got this situation where their best friend's girlfriend, she's the only girl to talk to you. <laughs> it's like yeah. the person you <laughs> wish you were with, right? And you're like, oh, I just can't believe it. She's so beautiful and amazing, but I can't have her. Right. I just want to write a double album about it, just like Clapton. <laughs> uh, they... He's and he's all messed up. It's a really sad story. Like he's on heroin. He's drinking too much. Ah. Um, the record comes out and is not a hit at all. And then he fades from view for three years, basically like fading into heroin addiction. Is he's super lucky to have lived through it. Um, his friends pull him out of it. He sobers up. In the meantime, George Harrison gets divorced. It's uh, Patty Boyd. Is that her name, Jeff? Yeah. He gets divorced from Patty Boyd. Clapton immediately gets together with her. They actually get married. Oh. And then he's a huge dickhead. He like uh, he cheats on her. It, 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 I mean, it's alleged that he uh, hits her, um, and they end up getting divorced. And they interview her, and they're like, "What was the story with this?" And she's like, "Oh, Clapton never loved me at all. He just loved George, and he just wanted what George had. He was just jealous of George." And wow. now, in the fullness of Dang. time, it makes it a little bit hard to go back and listen to these songs um, because it's so, it's like, it's really it, like, I'm sure she's right. She's got, she knew these guys pretty well. She was married to both of them. Yeah, right. Um, she gets back together but, with George, right? I think maybe. Yeah. They, like, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, Jeff says no. So. so I'm going to take Jeff on that. <laughs> okay. Um, and that, but, uh, but all of that being said, this is a great, great record outside of um some of the hendrix stuff this is probably well and i guess some of the Led Zeppelin stuff this is one of my favorite guitar records for sure it's just a spectacular achievement um i'm gonna go with any day that's my actual favorite song not layla from this record layla and other love songs by Derek and the dominoes <laughs>
hopefully Eric will forgive us those 20 seconds to get to the chorus. So, so I, I, I love that one. Yeah. And I love this record overall. One thing that really was uh, struck me in getting ready for this was how the world's the, the greatest guitarist on earth is like the heavyweight champion in the world. Like there was a stretch mm -hmm. where the most important belt, like just in music was this greatest guitarist. And right. there is a stretch where it's like Clapton versus Hendrix. And there's like Clapton versus Page and, and Beck's yeah. like making a call for it. And they're all fighting against each other. I don't even like it's and it's super similar, like all the way through Mike Tyson. Like I can name all of those heavyweight champions. Yeah. Like it was a super right. big deal. I like after after Van Halen, I got nothing. I can't like I, I have no like in the, the, the belt holder now who know Lord knows who the best guitarist is. Like, Jeff, do you have an opinion? No. In fact, like I've I decided that I think um, maybe the the generation that cared about that most has aged to the point where they realize that having a champion isn't the point, right? But having a lot of people who can do it. Because we all, when you're a kid, you want to be the best at something. And the older you get, the more you realize that's a false chase. You just want to be the best you can be. And so maybe we cease to look because I can't name the current heavyweight champion. I can't name the current heavyweight champ. No, and, and I like, don't think and I'm yeah. sure there are people who can. I, I maybe the best caring who the best is is a young person's game. I don't know. It's and the, well, the, and the music, funny the about music it gets is, older, the the need for a best becomes less and less needy. I don't know. It's a good question. Um the the guitar as an instrument is still a really, really, really au courant instrument. Like oh, if you totally. pull out the top 40 and, and look at it, there's going to be 15 songs with a prominent guitar part in it, like a yes. really noticeable guitar part in it. Yeah, Including like all the mumble rap guys are super into it. Like the Juice uh -huh. World songs all have really prominent guitar parts. But they so don't guitar, have a guy they call. They get, they, there are a oh, hundred totally. dudes they can get to make those sounds. Oh, no, no, but my point is just like, it's not like the guitar has faded. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not like there's no sax solos on a top 40 song. No. So there's uh -huh. a reason why nobody has an opinion about who the best saxophonist is in rock, in you know, popular music. But there's a crap ton of guitar. You know what there's not? There's not blistering solos where you're yeah. like measuring yeah. this solo against that solo. And yeah. not only is it not like, um, in trying to feed this stuff or trying to interest my daughters in this, as soon as the guitar solo comes, anything that's too like that's guitar heavy in the world's greatest guitarist, like the Clapton stuff or the even some of the Hendrix stuff, they're just like, oh, that's just extra not for them. Just zero <laughs> interest in it. And it's super funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested in that. I have a couple more things to say. It's a great pick. It would have been my pick. I knew letting you go first that I was giving up this record. One of the things that's amazing about this record is the songs are presented in the exact order they were recorded. Oh, wow. Is that true? Yeah. That this is the session in order. They were like, when they were thinking about the order, they're like, well, let's just go first to last. And so Layla is the last thing they write and record. And well, is so Thorn the Tree in the Garden the last song? Thorn Tree, yeah. yeah, but Thorn Tree was like, they needed something at the, they felt like Layla was too bananas and ending, so they just had Whitlock <laughs> throw that on there. But, but <laughs> Almond's not even on the record until the second track. The reason right. there's no slide on I Looked Away is that Dwayne hadn't shown up yet. And it's all Tom Dowd who did that. The producer of this record, who owned Criteria Studios in Miami, where they make it, had just produced the Almond Brothers debut and he was pushing Eric, you got to meet this guy. And so they actually rerouted the Allman Brothers tour back into the South so Dwayne could drive down and be a part of this session. He had no intention wow. of um, 
But Dwayne was already an incredibly established session slide player. He'd played on some Aretha records already and, and uh, knew how to blend. Um, I think Bell Bottom Blues is this record's greatest track. Um, I think Beautiful it's just song. a Beautiful. It's the yeah. second song. Um, Layla's also made. And this record's like, like Ben has mentioned, right? There's a lot to, there's just a lot of tremendous playing on this record. And there's all that darkness we keep talking about. Like the drummer on this record, Jim Gordon, who's one of the great session drummers and plays his absolute ass off on this record and wrote and played the piano coda on Layla. Uh, kills his mother in 1982 because he has a schizophrenic break and voices telling uh, him to murder his whole family. Uh, there's nobody left uh, alive. Carol Clapton, who plays on this record. Both Whitlock and Carl Radle are dead. You know, Dwayne was dead a year after these sessions from a motorcycle accident. Um, so it's again, it's one of those, um, it's one of those records that captures a moment in time that is that you can't replicate again. But my all-time favorite guitar player is James DePredo, who I actually get to play with from time to time. He's the best musician I've ever been on a stage with or in a recording studio with. This is his favorite guitar record. Oh, nice. He, yeah. He is the best guitarist I've ever met. And this is his go-to greatest record. Like, this is the record he learned to play slide guitar to. And um, so his endorsement. Uh, That's big. A lot as well, well I, I will love. I will also say when you talk about the best and how nowadays it's hard to pick the best of something, Ricky Valero of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network says that we have the best podcast uh, going in the universe, he says. So <laughs> there's that. And it's all about like the time you put in and how much you practice the craft. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you got to sell Timmy's material, man. You got to sell it. Is that I love right? Timmy's material. I he live sells our way crap week after week after week. <laughs> Timmy's selling us. You know what I mean? I love it. The, uh, the other thing I think is this is an this is on the short list for um, greatest double album. It's oh, I don't yeah. think it's the oh, I don't think it's the all time greatest, but it's in the top five. And it's one of those few double records where cutting a song or two here and there to make it shorter is missing the whole point right. of the exercise. Don't, say, say no more because I want that to be one of our uh, kind of bits uh, throughout okay. the second season. We'll do a double album, do best live album, uh, do oh, best uh, uh, maybe album recorded just by one person by themselves in their garage. Uh, we'll do all sorts of stuff about that. All right, but Jeff, what's your, what's your take for 1970? Uh, this is the beginning of another theme, which is year, there are going to be several years where I pick a band that released two records in the calendar year. And so because okay. Ben took my pick, I am picking a band that released not one, but two records in 1970. And okay. by far and away, the two best records this band makes uh, in its very storied career. Um, this is not a band known at all for its studio work. In fact, this is a band known for making piss poor studio records because <laughs> they fundamentally exist to be a live act. But um, okay. <laughs> we are going to give some time to local heroes, the Grateful Dead, who hey. make two records all in right. 1970. The first is called Working Man's Dead and the second is called American Beauty. In 1963, a bunch of local musicians who primarily play bluegrass form a band called Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Band or something like that. And it's a weird <laughs> mix of university students who like bluegrass and local high school kids and 
a biker who is, you know, actually uh, a kind of a ne'er-do-well. And they're playing pizza joints and coffee houses. But an emerging kind of scene that starts to center around the Haight-Ashbury network of San Francisco gives this band an opportunity to learn how to play and to play in front of people who, unlike all rock and roll shows up to this point, want to hear music all night because they're starting to take psychedelic drugs and the trips take several hours to go through. And so this band changes its name to the Grateful Dead and starts becoming the house band for what are called acid trips. Oswald Stanley, a local chemist has invented acid and he's giving it out for free. Um, and they wow. need a band who will free. just play and play and play and play while people trip to it. The band moves in together and they find themselves in the zeitgeist of an entire new alternative community movement in the United States. It centers around the Bay Area. It's about communal living. It's, uh, uh, it, it starts to reject just about any social norm it can. And the Grateful Dead quickly become the kind of band around town around whom an entire scene uh, creates. The Jefferson Airplane, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Moby Grape, um, Sly and the Family Stone that we talked about last week. Um, the band gets a record deal. They're brought down to Los Angeles. The LA guys have no idea what to do with this bunch of long-haired weirdos who live together in a house in San Francisco. And they make a terrible debut record. This is called The Grateful Dead. But the band makes its bones on stage where they are the first band to play long sets. You remember the longest Beatles show of all time is 25 minutes. The Dead at this point are That's already insane. playing two 80-minute sets. Like they're on stage for three to three and a half hours a night as a regular consequence starting in 1967. They invent, they invent the long form rock concert. When the Stones tour America in 66, the show was 25 minutes long. When they tour again in 69, the show was an hour and 20 minutes and it's because of the dead. And it's because yeah. an audience has been trained that you go out to see rock and roll and you get a night's worth of entertainment. You get a whole show. So the band starts to develop material to fill a three hour hole. The songs get longer and they go from playing crappy versions of old blues songs to writing these very weird, intricate, psychedelic songs. The second record, Anthem of the Sun in 68 is half studio and half live. It's a mixed bag. Some of it is very good. Some of it is very terrible. Um, <laughs> then their third studio record, which is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Most people I think say Oxamoxa which is a palindrome, is a god-awful mess. It's one of the worst records released by a major artist. And again, this is on Warner Brothers. This is not like some weird little label that's going right, to tolerate right. no sales. Oaks and Oaks is recorded on acid. They feed the instruments through like all kinds of hookahs. And it just, it sounds bad. The material's not very good. The performances are very weak. This band looks like it's going to fall apart. They're broke. They, you know, they don't make enough money from the road. A lot of drugs. In 1969, the psychedelic moment of the first kind of moment of the band reaches its peak in a double live record called Live Dead, which some people think is one of the all-time great live albums. The first side is a 23-minute long Dark Star. Side two <laughs> is two 10-minute songs. Side three is a 16-minute blues jump. Side four is all feedback and noise but it captures oh. what that band does live. It's a, it's a weird psychedelic freak out. And the band to its credit puts that record out and looks at one another and says, okay, well now what? We have taken this thing, this weird psychedelic thing as far as it can go. Right. The most 
interesting thing we could do is try to become a rock band in the more traditional sense. Let's take songwriting lessons. Let's take four-part harmony vocal lessons. Let's write songs that are three to five minutes long. Let's, let's go into the studio and not just play live and screw around with the tape. Let's actually close mic ourselves and look at the harmony parts and let's make some records. And the first version of this new version of the band is Working Man's Dead, um, which is a, a much better, it's by far and away the best record they've released up to that point. It's got some filler. There's a little too much pig pen. There's a little too much uh, kind of country to it. Um, but American Beauty, the record they release next, is uh, the band's defining statement as a recording artist. They will never again make a record worth listening to unless you're a deadhead. Um, and it is the material that will sustain the band through the rest of the decade uh, in its glory period, which is really, not, in my opinion, 1970 to about 1973. In that moment, say what you will about the dead, and there's a lot to make fun of, but they're pretty great from 70 to 73. They're a reliably interesting, excellent band. Part of the reason is they get smaller. They drop Mickey Hart. Um, in this period, they only have one drummer. And so the whole multiple drums banging on everything that becomes an embarrassing part of their show later is not there. This is a band that plays so just one, two one sets. drummer, just one drummer, one drummer. Bill I don't Kreutzmann. know how they're going to do that. How are they going to fill that um, space? They play the first set is always pretty <laughs> tight. 14, 15 songs, all three to four minutes long. And then set two is the stretch. But American Beauty as a record focuses on the songs, it focuses on the performances, it focuses on the singing, and it's a beautiful little unassuming record with wonderful songs. Box of Rain, Friend of the Devil, Ripple, Truckin', Broke Down Palace. Like I do love the Ripple. songs yeah. that and the band's yeah. Uh, yeah. cult are on this record. That's um, good stuff. I'm not a deadhead in, because there's a lot about the dead I really don't care for. There are whole decades where the, the, just the sound of the band I find difficult. I am kind of a deadhead in the sense that I really do love this period from 70 to 73. I think they're, I think they're really compelling. I think that the sound of, of Phil Lesh's bass is just fantastic. I think this is when Jerry Garcia was at his absolute peak. And having lived in the Bay Area for 30 years, Having met these guys, having taught some of their children, I'm a little bit, of, I'm a little inside baseball. I have a little love for the whole, the whole thing. Um, I will not recommend any of the Dead's studio recordings except these two records, but I do think in 1970, the band paid attention enough to what the record was going to sound like to produce one good and one great record. And so I will roll in 1970 for the Grateful Dead's American Beauty. And I'll let Ben, I'll let ben uh, rip on it before I, I forgot to pull it up. So go ahead, take well, a shot. Ben. I, uh, this, this record's great. I don't know, like, like there's like multiple good songs on this record. Um, and you're right. I mean, like the, the stripped down version of it where the, the songs are shorter is, is great. Like there's the, like, and I agree, if you're going to choose a period, it's this period for sure. So, right. so here's I have, I have no beef for that. So here's the first song. It's actually my favorite. It's the first song. It's the only song Phil Lesh wrote for the band up to this point. Uh, and it's called Box of Rain. But you can get a sense of just 
when, when most people think of the Grateful Dead, they think of people twirling and like just endless noodling in a field somewhere. This doesn't sound like that at all. This sounds, this has a lot more to do with Laurel Canyon than anything else. So the first minute of this will give you a really good indication of what the whole record sounds like. American Beauty by the Grateful Dead. Chriscow, who was the critic stuff. for the Village Voice, uh, had a one-sentence review of a Grateful Dead live record. I think it's Reckoning, which is an acoustic live record. But he said, uh, you know, they still can't play all that great. And Jerry's voice creaks like an old floorboard, but they've always been my favorite folk group. And that's a kind of a perfect one-sentence <laughs> description of the Grateful Dead. So. Well, I love that. I thought that was terrific. It sounds like... Uh... A little bit like me and Magdalena. Sure, the worst of me. That song I, is super pretty and compliment. it's very emblematic of it. The song Ripple sounds like that too. And I absolutely I love, love that one. Oh, um, so and it's not on this record, but it's from the same era. Played at your Tennessee, University of Tennessee uh, football games, Tennessee Jet, the Tennessee yeah. Tennessee uh, they would play that during the freaking game um and so there's of the classic rock acts the girls actually have a huge soft spot for the dead that's great uh I remember uh I I lived in Haight-Ashbury in 90 gosh what was that 93 maybe 94 my brother and I moved out there and lived on Clayton for six months and we'd walk and we'd get pizza we'd go to the store and stuff and we'd walk along Haight and uh guys would continually come up to us and buds buds but and they're walking by real subtle buds 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 it's not so subtle trying, anymore trying <laughs> to sell us marijuana and i'm sure it's not as subtle but uh since pat and i were raised in a drug culture of bud light we had no idea what they were talking about and finally my brother stopped one day he's like hey people keep saying buds what what does that mean and the, kid, the kid's like what planet are you from? <laughs> that was it. Didn't even answer the question. That was it. Uh, all right, good stuff. Are you ready for mine? Let's do it, Timmy. Brace yourselves. Uh, we talked about coming to the Steve Miller Band in high school and how every American somehow comes to the Steve Miller Band. Don't type that in, Jeff. That's not what it is. But I'm wondering if... I also, I don't want to be lumped in with like every high school kid has a Steve Miller Band moment. Like, no. Yours, yours happened in sixth grade. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if you came to this artist in high school at, at all. Um, in 1970, Cat Stevens releases T for Tillerman. 
Now I know what you're both thinking. You're thinking, oh God, this is soft. This is quiet. This is too introspective. But gosh darn it, it seems remarkably sincere uh, to me that that Cat Stevens is coming from uh, a, a real place with all these feelings. And so I know how Ben Barton feels about the relationship between children and their fathers. So I know he cannot poo-poo the song. Oh, poo-poo will be coming. You're going to get the poo-poo platter, my friend. I'm going to bring all the poo-poo. <laughs> We're going to play father and son for the audience, Jeff Simons. Let's go. T for Tillerman by Cat Stevens. It's not time to make a change Just relax, take it easy You're still young, that's your fault There's so much you have to know Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy, I'm happy. I was once like you are now And I know that it's not easy To be calm when you found something going on Take your time, think a lot. I think of everything you've got. Hey, I know we've got approximately 200 listeners per week to this podcast. I would say 85% of them are with me when it comes to Cat Stevens. If you want to be in the cynical 15%, go ahead, have at it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't like Cat Stevens, and I particularly don't like this song. I prefer Cat Stevens when they appear as Loggins and Messina. That's the version of this act that I like better. Oh, man. <laughs> Sing a ding ding. That's yeah, rough. and it, like, um, I don't like, I mean, I don't like his singing. I don't like his, I don't like the guitar part. Um, and it's a real, like, it's just real cheesy. I don't believe that he, I guess, presumably has a father and maybe a son, but these emotions seem real canned to me. It just doesn't work. <gasps> oh that's my right. God. That's right. Oh my but God. But Timmy, that's because I am old and you are young. <laughs> uh, Jeff Simons, Cat Stevens. Yeah, I, I hate Cat Stevens. I always have. I really hate Cat I dislike Stevens. Him. Yeah, I dislike his voice. I dislike the songs. He's a ham-fisted guitar player. Like for a song oh that's God. just a guy what? playing an acoustic guitar, he sounds like an eleven-year-old. Yeah. He's banging away at that thing. <laughs> he's grabbing extra notes when he's trying to play a D chord. I mean, it's it's incredibly amateurish for a major recording artist. I I cannot. Uh, that song, Wild World. I mean. I, I, I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to think of this as a song that annoyed me more, like when I was sitting around and you've got a guitar and people are like, hey, do you know? Like, that's the one. Oh, I, I think uh, Closer to Fine. Girl, closer to Fine by Indigo Girls. Yeah. Yeah, Closer oh, to Fine. Oh, I like Closer to Fine. Uh, yeah, Wild World. Wild okay. World. Just 
don't make me play wow so uh nobody knows the lyrics like everybody goes like you know at situate high school situate high school at our 1988 graduation that's the song they played as we processed out Hey, baby, it's the wild world. Yeah, Kat, and also like Cat Stevens becomes used to Islam and calls a fatwa on Salman Rushdie and and uh No, and that was a misunderstanding. That was a misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But then but then later he became Cat Power and released some really interesting music. No, he did <laughs> That's not. That's an amazing joke, and I like that. Hey, it's really great though. I are we gonna get had. are we gonna get cats in the cradle? Is that gonna be? Are you gonna pick the Harry? <laughs> are you just gonna do all like cheesy dad songs? Doesn't he have like a song about That's 10, a good question. Is Cats in the Cradle worse than Father and Son? Oh, Cats I, in the Cradle. I clearly prefer better. Cats in the Cradle. Totally agree. Clearly better. I I am making a Spotify playlist of, of fathers and sons uh, songs. So what what's the guy from the '90s that we play? We father play? of father mine, mine man. Start father right of mine, sure. that'll be there. Uh, let's get it all out. Just process everything. What's that yeah. song? That horrible Mike and the Mechanics song? Is it the Living oh, Years? Oh, about the death of his father. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, well, we could do the uh, Clapton one. About the death of his father. Geez. Cheers no. enough. We can't do that. No, no why not? It's like, We've already beaten that song to tears death. Tears in Heaven will go snugly with this playlist that Tim's putting All together. Right. All right, gentlemen. Yeah, no, I no, get... I'm sorry, Tim. I, I, I don't. I, I, I want to like your choices, but uh, 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 I don't like any of those. Like Teaser in the Fire Cat, T in the Tillerman, Mona Bone Jaken. I don't know how you even pronounce it. Like those Cat Stevens records. The word I would use for Cat Stevens is precious. He feels where very precious. The, yeah, where do the children play? The precious children. Where do they right. play, Jeff Simons? If we don't know, I'd rather who listen will. to the Hooters say, "Where do the children go?" Then Cat Stevens say, "Where do the children play?" <laughs> I would much great, rather listen to that. Hooters I will record. be picking the Hooters as well when they. That'd come be fine. Along. That that Hooters listen. record has at least three bangers on it. I've got to get back to my vacation. You got to get back to your conspiracy theories that have going on in that apartment by yourself. I just got to get back to doing nothing. I was just staring off into the middle distance. I will continue to do so as soon as we hang up. This is I'm having a great right. time. I'm gonna go tubing. You know, tubing. You are stealing. Is... You are stealing 1971's best record for me again next week. Oh, I need like, a yeah. I Dude, need listen, a weird choice. Uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and be clear. Um, they these. You saw when I had to pick the songs too. These years are a struggle for me. Um, I just don't listen to music from this time period very much. So um, I mean, then that, that's uh, so basically I'm like, oh, this is a record I did really that I love, 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 love. So anyway, it just makes it harder. I need I need help. Uh, that's fine. This uh, un, this is actually. Um, oh, have you watched the 1971 Apple TV documentary yet?
Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.